scripture reading this morning is, is found in the book of Numbers, um, Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to Numbers chapter 12 and uh, follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. Again, that's Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the, cloud, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after, after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out for Hezroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Good morning, church. So Chad asked me to do a, a plug. There's books on the back that speak about to understand the Bible, look for Jesus. So it helps a lot just to see the connectivity between um, the Bible verses that we're looking at today, the things that we're going to be looking throughout the summer. So $10 in the back, you can get it. All right. There you go, Chad. All right. So today's passage, uh, we just read, thank you, Elijah, for that. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Uh, we're going to be trying to get a profile of who Miriam is. Uh, Miriam is the oldest sister of Moses, as you might know or might not know. So we're going to be looking at a couple of Bible verses just to get an overview or a full understanding of who Miriam is. And once we do that and we create this profile of her, uh, we're going to turn into what we just read in Numbers. So we're going to be looking at two Bible verses, Exodus 2, 4 to 10, so you can follow along with me. I'm going to highlight certain things there. I'm not going to go Bible verse by Bible verse. I'm just going to jump around and highlight certain things. What is interesting about Miriam is that she had a front seat to witness what God did through Moses. As we know, Moses becomes the liberator. 
He's also one of those key figures that points us to Jesus over and over again. In verse number four, as we read, we see Miriam had a front row seat, a VIP seat, and a unique point of perspective to witness God's purpose for Moses' life. We see how Miriam is just looking after her brother. Verse number seven in Exodus 2 Miriam's most likely ran or moved to a strategically place to observe the outcome of his little brother. As you know, the Pharaoh had put a mandate that any uh, Jewish child should be killed. Miriam probably received strict orders from her mother to be there until the end, to know what was the final outcome. Miriam probably listened and was very obedient, as we can see, waited between the grasses of the Nile River, but we also see it furthermore inside her personality. We see in verse number seven, we see a brave woman. We see a woman filled of wisdom. We also see someone that is extremely proactive and outspoken. Verse number eight, Miriam most likely ran, burst into the house, probably didn't take her shoes off and was out of breath, trying to explain to her mom what just happened, what she just witnessed. Her mom is trying to calm her down and saying, Miriam, slow down, what happened to Moses? The mom is trying to make sense of the few words that were coming out of her mouth. I'm assuming the mom is telling her, take a deep breath, get some water, tell me everything that you saw and witnessed about Moses. I'm assuming that finally Miriam was able to catch her breath and was able to explain to her mother that the Pharaoh's daughter had seen and held her baby brother. I imagine both of them crying and weeping, praising the Lord for the miracle they just had witnessed. But also telling her mom, hurry mom, they want you to take care of our baby brother. Can you imagine the reaction of her mom knowing that she was going to be taking care of her own baby, knowing that most likely her baby was going to die just an hour or hours ago. I can imagine seeing Miriam saying, hurry, mom, hurry, grabbing her by the hand and pushing her, running out towards the Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 9, we see that Miriam and Aaron grew up for several years together. They probably played and most likely definitely fought together, as good siblings do knowing that eventually the baby brother will have to go to the Egyptians, say their goodbyes, not knowing they will see each other, Moses grew up as the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh, an Egyptian prince. So that is the beginning. Those are the few things that we know about Miriam. We know that she's the oldest sister of both Aaron and Moses. We know that she is there witnessing what will happen to his baby brother in the Nile River. But then there's an also another insight, and we go to Exodus 15, 19 to 22. So there's this large praising of this psalm that is written there. We see another aspect of Miriam. We know that now the Egyptians have pursued the Israelites across the Red Sea. We know that the Israelites are making their way to the Promised Land. And here we see a jubilant celebration now we turn to another aspect of Miriam in the Bible. In Exodus 15, we see Miriam had become a prophet. She's actually one of the only three women 
to be a prophet in the Old Testament. And she's the first to receive that title. She's a worshiper. But she also is a leader of women. We can see that she is remarkable. She has a very unique perspective and a very interesting life. All alone, she had the privilege and honor having a front row witnessing her brothers grow up to be the liberator of Israel. Well, what can go wrong, right? She's an amazing woman. So far in Exodus 9, 15, 19 to 22, we see how she has progressed. But then we get to numbers, and we see what usually happens with a lot of leaders. We get to get, be comfortable in the stage. We get comfortable with our responsibilities. We get comfortable with being in front of individuals, and we forget who is truly in charge. So now we're going to just sit and just look at the heart of a complaint. Most of us sitting here, we either have received complaints or have been the creators of complaints. But the question is what? Why? Why is it that we feel that we need to complain? Why is it that we are prone to complain, especially about our leadership? In Numbers, we get to see a different aspect of Miriam. Now, what's interesting about this whole passage, and if you ever have a chance this week, please read Numbers 11, the whole chapter, and then get into Numbers 12, what we're going to be looking at today. But there we see a cycle of repetition of complaining and whining and grumbling towards God. Over and over and over again. So before we get to Numbers 12, there's an entire chapter about complaining and whining. So we get to Numbers 12. It's a continuation of the grumbling and the complaining and the fighting. Not being comfortable, not being obedient, not being submissive to the will of God. But we see God getting angry over and over again and then delivering his judgment to those that were grumbling. But then we also see something very interesting. We see the repetition of Moses interceding either for the nation of Israel or for her siblings. So this idea of fighting, whining, and grumbling sounds a lot like our children right now in the summer, correct? They're in the house with us 24-7 without any escape, and we're there listening to that complaining and the whining. So that is, in essence, what we're going to be looking at today. So we get to Numbers 12. But before I move on, let's just read a passage on number 11.1. One. It says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the, Lord, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. That's just the introduction to Numbers 11, and you can read it at home, the whole chapter. So now we get to Numbers 12. Pay attention to the repetition, to the words that are being used over and over again. Marion and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Most complainings and most aspects of not being comfortable or desiring or deciding to complain against someone, usually there is some truth to it. If we just read that Bible verse and we just examine it, Moses married a foreign woman from Ethiopia. 
If we remember, there's a pact between the Israelites and God not to marry outside outsiders, foreigners. So there's some truth to this complaining. But that is just the beginning. It is important to note that Miriam's name comes first in this text. Why? Because she is the leading principal person in this complaint. In the Hebrew tradition, this highlights the primary person in the passage. Although both spoke against Moses, the emphasis here is on Miriam, and we'll see that much later on in the Bible verse. When we think about why are they attacking Moses, it begins with some truth. He had married a foreign woman outside the covenant, and there might be some racial prejudice towards her. Moses married Sipporah from Ethiopia. So the excuse is, this was just an excuse to eventually get to the root of the problem. It wasn't that he married a foreign woman. The truth is, in the next verse. So think about it. It starts with the truth, or partial truth, but that is not the reason why they're complaining. That is not the reason why they're going after Moses' leadership. So when we read Moses, uh, Numbers 12, 2, it says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? He has not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So the idea here is there's jealousy taking place. There's this notion that Miriam and Aaron are both also prophets. There's my sibling rivalry between them. And here we begin to understand that the reason they're using in Numbers 12.1 is just a preliminary excuse to get to the real reason that they're upset. For those of us that have served in leadership for a long time, there's something particularly that stings and something that goes very deep when the criticism comes from your family, right? It cuts different. It hurts longer. It takes longer to heal. Being a pastor at the small church, which is in essence half of the, of the congregation was my family, and then taking over the leadership, we experienced firsthand what it is to be criticized by your family to hear, not approving of your leadership, of your decision-making, going behind your back and creating division. It just stinks a little bit different. And this is, in essence, what's happening here with Moses. Moses is being disputed. He's being challenged as his authority. And also, why is he the only one that can speak for God? We're also prophets. We're also leaders. We're also um, priests. And we begin to see this notion. So when someone complains about something, just give them time. Let them speak, and the real reason why they're complaining will come out and surface. It will start as a partial truth, but eventually we'll get to the root of the problem. When we get to Numbers 12, 2, we begin to see the real reason. It's a spiritual reason. They want to be like Moses. They want to have the same access like Moses does to God. They don't want to be necessarily waiting for the hierarchical decision-making where Moses hears the word of God and then tells the, the, the nation of Israel. They want to be the ones that are telling and leading the conversation. It usually complains about leadership. It starts about you. You are doing something wrong. 
but eventually it will be about what they want. So think about what drives us to complain. In the case of Miriam and Aaron, we don't have a lot of details, but we can read between the lines. There's maybe a sense of jealousy, maybe feeling unappreciated, maybe feeling that they're entitled, maybe feeling like they don't have to submit to Moses and his leadership. Maybe they're not approving of the decision-making of Moses. Furthermore, what we see here is a highlight to emphasize the lack of humility. And the word is that the criticism does not go directly to Moses, it goes directly to God. They're not criticizing Moses per se. They're telling God, why am I not worthy to be the primary recipient of your word? I want to be like Moses. I want to hear you clearly. I want to hear what God has to say. One of the things that I've been doing lately, I've been reading a book called by R.C. Sproul, The Holiness of God. If you have a chance, it's a really good book. And I'm just reading like three pages per day because it's just a lot of information. And it convicts you and it like, it's just, if you have a chance, just read it. But look what Numbers 12, 6 and 9 says. And this is where we begin to see the holiness of God and God defending Moses. Moses didn't have to speak. He didn't have to defend his leadership or his relationship with God. God speaks directly. He says, hear my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. And if you go to verse number three, it says that Moses was meek, like no one else in this earth. There was a spatial relationship between God and Moses. And look at the words that God uses. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and without any riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. In other words, he maintains the words that I'm speaking to him. He doesn't alter it. He doesn't change it. He doesn't modify it. He is true to what I tell him. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. And that should give us a pause. That should give us a warning when we will or eventually criticize leadership. What's driving our motivation for that complaint? Why do we need to feel that we need to advocate or tell leadership about what we think they're doing wrong? And once again, the words and the repetition that we see, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. In other words, the presence of the Lord left. His holiness left them. In other words, what God is saying is, Miriam and Aaron, you're not that special. You're not the one that I have chosen to speak for me. So what I think we're missing a lot, especially in this conversation of church and leadership and dynamics and understanding, is what Martin Luther says about the holiness of God. So let me read a passage that says the following. So what happened to uh, Luther Mather, uh, 
Martin Luther at the altar. Luther offered his own explanation at the paralysis that he was struck when he was supposed to say the words, we offer unto thee the living, the true, the eternal God. And he says the following things. All these words, I was utterly terror-stricken. I thought to myself, with what tongue should I address such majesty, referring to God and his holiness? Seeing that all men are to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince. Who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? The angels surround him and his nod the earth tremble. And shall I, a miserable little pygmy, say I want this? I ask for that? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I'm speaking to the living, eternal, and the true God. So when Marians and Aaron spoke, they didn't realize they were speaking against God. They lacked the understanding of the holiness of God. So what we see happening in the next Bible verses, we see the judgment of God being delivered. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Marian was leprous, like snow, and Aaron turned immediately towards Marian, and behold, she was leprous. We forget, I forget, when I stand here in front of you, there's a holy God judging me and witnessing me. Isaiah said it really well, woe to me, and that means I am cursed to be in front of the living God. I'm not worthy to speak of his name. Miriam and Aaron forgot that. So the revolt wasn't directly towards Moses. It was directly towards God. And as we dissect a little bit more the reasons why I complain, the reasons why you might complain, What's driving? What is the factor inside of it that is pushing you to complain? What are your true motives? Are they driven by the Holy Spirit or are they driven by the flesh? I cannot answer that. But something I think we all should learn before I bring complaints to the leadership, before I begin to complain about something that I don't like or something I disagree, bring it to the Lord first. Pray on it. Ask for peace. Ask for clarity. Ask for wisdom. Ask for the favor of God. And sometimes leadership needs to hear about what we're doing wrong. Now the outcome that I'm looking for, who is it going to glorify? Is it going to glorify my outcomes and my needs and my desires? Or is it going to be about the holiness of God and his honor and his kingdom. Think about the reasons why we complain. Think about the reasons why our children complain all the time. Think about why our coworkers complain to other coworkers or to managers or supervisors. And if you're in a supervisor position, you know you're going to hear all the complaints all the time. But why is it that people complain? 
And then we get to Numbers 12, 11. And here we see, again, true leadership, leadership guided by God. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. We see the demeanor, we see the faithfulness, and the trust in the living God. This is what makes Moses unique. The reason why God spoke to him mouth to mouth, face to face. Now, we know Moses was not perfect. We know that Miriam definitely wasn't perfect. Aaron wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. And this is why we need a Savior. This is why I need Jesus. So today, this morning... As we conclude and we begin to move into our communion, think about this Bible verse, about the need that we have for a Savior. Why is it that I need to run to his cross? Why is it that I constantly need his grace and forgiveness? Because we're sinful. Our thoughts are sinful. Our motives are sinful. Our desires are sinful. And 1 John 2, 1, 3 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone, which we all do, sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for our only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, and we keep his commandments. This relationship between the sinner, and the Savior. This notion that we are His children and we can run to Him and He will advocate, protect us, save us from eternal judgment and punishment. Ephesians 2.19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens in front of this holy God. But now you have been made holy through Jesus Christ, and now you are a fellow citizen with the saints and member of the household of God. The blood of Jesus has given us access to his holiness. He has purified us. He has sanctified us. He has welcomed us to his kingdom. So this morning, as we take communion, there are two thoughts I want to leave you with. I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. So today you might be here without understanding this relationship that exists between the blood of Jesus, Jesus and God. Holiness and unholy. Saved and unsaved. And I will ask that you pray wherever you are this morning. Maybe come and talk to one of us if you're struggling with this notion of being sanctified and being, having access to our holy God. And if you are saved, praise the Lord. But you also need the grace of your Savior. I need that grace. When I don't agree, when I disagree, when I see things, when I feel that I need to speak against, but then I decide not to, when I should speak, when I should be muted, when I should be 
process my thoughts more clearly or be filtered? This morning, we have access to our holy God. We can come, we can pray, we can ask for forgiveness. We can glorify Him. We can honor Him. So let's take communion this morning. Let me pray, and we'll have communion. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that we're all sinful. Father, I pray that this morning, if we have individuals that don't know you, this will be the day they get to know the true Savior. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to have communion this morning and to repent and to be thankful and to be, just be blessed, Father, to have access to you. We should be condemned. We should have eternal judgment. But you have sent your son to die for us on our cross. Father, thank you for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. When you're ready, take communion. And then let's worship together.